have our founding and lead pastor right over here, Pastor Chris Marshall. Woohoo! Yeah! Oh, that was. I'm very proud of you. Uh, at the last two services, no clapping at all. So I had to do that. Yahoo! Woohoo! And then it started. So this was, that was very good. So mm, just, we're in this together. I appreciate that. And, uh, and right here is our executive pastor, Pastor Barry Liker. All right. All right. So in this series, Passing the Baton, we're focusing on three things. The first thing is the passing of the leadership baton from our founding and lead pastor, Pastor Chris Marshall, to myself on January 28th and 2024. We're talking about why this is happening and some of the nuts and bolts behind it. We're also looking at how each of us has a role to play, not only in the passing of the baton, but in the kingdom of God. And so we're looking at God's word to, decide, to discover rather what that role is that God has for us. And the third thing we're doing is simply just looking at God's word to see what other transfers of leadership took place in the history of God's people so we can glean wisdom. But we're just simply looking at what God's word has to say regarding this decision, but everything in our lives. Because ultimately, everything we do here is founded upon the word of God. So we wanted to look and see what God has to say in regard to directing this process. Thanks, Alex. Hi, everyone. So it's probably, you're probably thinking it's a little dangerous to have three preachers on one Sunday, yeah. uh, maybe. Uh, I, I'd be thinking that if I were you. <laughs> but we're going to do our very best to just talk about the why behind the way that we're doing this process of passing the leadership baton of lead pastor from me to Pastor Alex in January. You know, during the course of church history, there have been a handful of ways developed by churches to pass leadership from one generation to the next. We're not going to talk about all of those things. We're going to go right to the Word of God. We're going to go to the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy, and we're going to see how he recommends that we pass leadership from one generation to the next. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you that from generation to generation, all the way really from uh, the very first two people down to us, you have passed your love and truth on to, to your people. And we thank you that Jesus came in the flesh so that he could show us who you are, how we're supposed to live, what it's like to live and, and move and have our being in you. We thank you that from the time of Jesus until now, one generation after the next has passed his life, his new life on from one to the next. And now today, as we turn to your word, we pray that you'll use your word to open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to how we can pass our faith in you on to those who are coming after us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a very brief passage of scripture we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's really verse 2 that we're going to focus on. So 2 Timothy 2, 2, pretty easy to remember, but we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. It says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So Paul's two letters to Timothy are sort of a pastor's manual, if you will, how Paul had lived his life and how he had served by starting new churches and equipping pastors, and now he's doing the same thing for Timothy. He's telling him how he can take the truth of the faith and pass it on to others. Now, we see that Paul's instruction regarding leadership in the church and how faith in Jesus, uh, faith is passed on from one generation to the next is very simple. It's, it's really simple. In fact, we sum it up in today's take-home point. It's this. Paul reminded us that we are always to be receiving and passing on the new life of Jesus. 
So simple. We receive and then we pass on the new life of Jesus. Paul is actually the first generation after Jesus. I don't know if you realize that, but Paul directly received from Jesus, a vision from Jesus, the new life that Jesus wanted Paul to have and a commission to go out and share the the faith of Jesus with an unlikely group, the Gentiles, which is anybody who was not a Jew. And then Paul had taken that faith and he had passed it on to Timothy and now he says to Timothy, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take some faithful people. You're going to pass the faith on to them and then have them pass it on to the next generation. So the process is not complicated, but it is intentional. Paul had selected a handful of young men, just as Jesus had selected 12 men to be his disciples and to learn from him for three years before he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and returned to heaven. Then when Paul became that next generation of believer, he had taken people like Timothy and Silas and Titus and Epaphroditus and others, and he had taught them the ways of Jesus, and he passed them on to them, and then he said, now... It's your turn. You have to pass it on to the next generation. As each succeeding generation followed the process, a new generation of Jesus' followers would be added. And that process works really whether we're talking about me passing leadership of lead pastor on to Pastor Alex or whether it's you in your life passing on the faith that you have received from Jesus to someone else. And the most logical someone else is What we just saw here, our children, we pass the faith on to our children, but we can do that at work, at school, wherever we are. And so let's look at that take-home point one more time. It says, Paul reminded us that we are always to be receiving and passing on the new life of Jesus. So when it came to developing a plan for passing the lead pastor role on to somebody else, we started that process more than 22 years ago. When we started New Life, From day one, Nancy and I realized something that the scripture teaches, what Paul said, that we're not supposed to be a one-generation church. Wouldn't that be absurd that you started a church and said at the end of the first generation, that's it, no more? No, we pass the faith of of Jesus on to someone else. We do that in our individual lives, but Nancy and I have been investing intentionally in the staff, and I've been investing in a handful of typically men that, um, that I have been equipping to be pastors. And two of them are sitting here today. There have been others in the history of new life. But through Paul's instruction to Timothy, we understand that one day we're not going to be around. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but one day you're not going to be around. So you need to replace yourself in the, in the generational aspect of faith. Right now, what each of us are going to do, we're going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about who it was who passed the faith in Jesus on to us. Who mentored us in our faith? So for me, first it started with my mother, Ruth Marshall. She's the first person who ever showed me the love and truth of Jesus. And then it was my Uncle Chuck Lockard. Uncle Chuck was a mine foreman. And uh, the thing that I remember from the time, I, I don't remember if I was five or six, but we had this big family gathering and Uncle Chuck was asked to pray. And I remember, even as a five or six year old, thinking, he's not a pastor, but he prayed. And what I remember from that prayer is, wow, he knows God. I mean, as a five or six-year-old, he was talking to the God of the universe like he knew him personally because he did. So along the way, I had Sunday school teachers, and eventually as I grew up, elders and staff members of the church uh, have mentored me or helped me to know how to live obediently in Jesus' ways. But I'm going to share quickly about three men who were pivotal 
in my becoming a follower of Jesus and growing to be a leader in the church. The first one was Pastor Andy Wygant. He came to Gypsy Christian Church when I was 15 years old, and I was not going to church there at the time. I had quit going to church. I was done with the hypocrites at that church. Um, Actually, I thought the hypocrites were in all the churches, and I didn't need it. I was reading my Bible, but I didn't want to have anything to do with church. So my mother would ask Pastor Andy over for lunch after church every week. And what happened was, I was amazed by this guy. He was the first pastor that I ever met who I said to myself, I want to be like him when I grow up. He's the first person I ever met, really the first person I ever met, who everything about him exuded Jesus. And what I learned from Andy, actually, he asked me one day, hey, would you like to study the Bible with me? And I was like, yeah. And so he and I would study the Bible a couple of hours every week. And then he started asking me to go to hospital visits with him and just sort of hang out with him. And and we got to be friends. But the main things that I learned from Andy, number one was how important the Bible is to our faith. The second thing I learned from him is our faith is not something we learn informationally. It's something we live every day. And And the third thing is I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit during his ministry at Uh, Gypsy Christian Church. So Andy was so influential in my life that when Nancy and I got married, he co-officiated at our wedding. But then we went our separate ways, and I really didn't have anything to do with Andy until COVID. And then during COVID, I just sort of had this prompting of, I I should contact Andy. So I emailed him, and eventually we started um, Zoom calling, and he lives in Columbus, Ohio now. So once a month, Andy is still mentoring me. And he's been mentoring me through this process that we've been going through, and uh, it's, a, it's a great blessing. In 1981, I started seminary, and uh, Pastor Arthur Pace became my field education supervisor. Many of you know Colonel Art Pace because he's been here and preached a couple of times during February, the last two years, actually. But whenever I went to seminary and started working under Arthur Pace, I, I, I learned three things from him also. The first one once again, is how important the Bible is. I mean, Arthur said, if, if you don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God, you might as well not even do this. And then the second thing he said to me was, you need to learn from negative experiences. He, sa- he said to me, he goes, because you're going to watch me screw up. And he said, if you watch me screw up and say, wow, he doesn't even know how to be a pastor, you're going to miss out on an opportunity to learn you can learn from positive, and I, hopefully you'll learn from positive, and I did. And he said, but whenever I do things wrong, watch that and learn from that too. Then you won't have to make the same mistake I did. Very important. And then the final thing is he helped me grow deeper in the Holy Spirit as well. And then the final guy I'm going to talk about is Mert Baumgars. I love that name. Mert Baumgars was an elder in the first church I served as a pastor. And uh, Mert was an elder in the true sense of the word. He was older. He was wise. He loved the Lord. And uh, I learned many, many things from Mert, but I'm going to share two with you. They're even going to be up on the screen. The first thing I learned from Mert is if you're going to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. Now, he was talking about actual fish. Like, he caught fish like nobody else I ever met. Um, But I extrapolated that to mean if you're going to catch a lost person, you have to think like a lost person. You, You can't help somebody come to know Jesus if you expect them to think like Jesus because they're not going to. So that was a very important thing. The second thing I learned from Mert is that any problem that can be solved with money is not a problem. I went to Mert one time. I had only been at the church for about a year and a half, and we needed $400 to do this youth event. And I went to Mert, and I said, hey, Mert, I have a problem. And he said, what is it? And I said, 
I need $400 for this youth event, and I don't have it. My budget's empty. And he started laughing right in my face. And I said, what's so funny? And he said, Chris, I have two dead kidneys. If I don't get a kidney transplant, I'm going to die. That's a problem. And then he paused for effect, and he said, always remember, any problem that can be solved with money is not a problem. And then he got out his checkbook, and he wrote a check to the church for $400. And then he said, here, see? (laughs) So those two lessons have helped me see the big picture of why we do what we do and how we do it for the past 35 years. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Yeah, that's worth clapping for. Um, So in preparation for this message today, I sat down and Uh, one morning and started to write a list of names of every person who is in some way poured into my life. And it took about five minutes, and I had two dozen folks. And then throughout the day, I kept thinking about it, and that number quickly became three dozen folks. And as I reflected on that list, what was interesting to me was outside of my family, because just like Pastor Chris, my family has been very influential in my life as they ought to be. Um, Outside of them, most of the folks on that list were part part of a church. Uh, I know oftentimes we think that we don't need to be part of a church, but I have well over two dozen reasons, two dozen people, two dozen faces who made a profound impact on my life, and I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for the local church. But I don't have time to talk about two dozen different folks today, so I wanted to highlight four men who really shaped and impacted me in in pretty profound ways. Um, Just for sake of brevity, we're going to talk about who they are and how they mentored me, and some of those major life lessons that they taught me. The first was a gentleman named Rick Rockwood. Uh, Rick's son, Tyler, was one of my best friends in high school, and Tyler played soccer. So some of my buddies and I, we would sit and watch Tyler play soccer. And Tyler's dad, Rick, was a pastor, but I didn't know him as a pastor. I just knew him as Tyler's dad. And we'd sit and watch the soccer games, and I'd be sitting in the bleachers along with everybody else, and Rick would just chat. And it was through those conversations that I got to know Rick, and he asked me questions about life, and I really began to think about my faith. And then we went out to breakfast a couple times, went out to lunch a couple of times, and throughout my late teens and into my early 20s, Rick was probably the single greatest influence on my faith and my faith development. He taught me what it meant for the Holy Spirit to to play a profound role in my life. And I don't know where I would be without Rick's guidance today. The second gentleman is a guy named Rich Grassel. Rich was one of my professors in college, and he invited uh, me and a couple other guys in our class to to meet with him and to do kind of like a formal small group. So we showed up in his office, and he wasn't there, so we waited two hours. (laughs) Sometimes getting a mentor can be a bit challenging. He forgot. He was so apologetic. Um, But Rich, really, it was probably one of the more structured mentoring opportunities of which I've ever been a part And he sat down with us every week faithfully and really walked us through some pretty heavy things. We talked about family of origin, and the single greatest thing that Rich taught me was who I am. He taught me about my strengths, my weaknesses, and what that would mean for my life and for ministry. The third guy is a gentleman named Dave Paulus. Dave was one of the youth volunteers, one of our team members, when I was a youth director in Chippewa. And Dave and his wife, Jan, served faithfully. I got to know them over the years. They invited me into their home. They took care of a single guy, and I really appreciate that. But when I got married to my wife, Leslie, Dave and Jan invited us to go camping with them. 
And they did that for several years. And then they invited our kids to go as well. And they taught us so much about what it means to be a family and what it means to be parents. Dave in particular taught me about what it means to be a son, what it means to be a man, and what it means to be a father. And I'm very thankful to, uh, to Dave for that. And then finally, there's Pastor Chris, who many of you know. And because of our role, we had to meet, got to meet every week, most often. And it could have just been business type stuff, but it wasn't because Chris is who he is. And we would talk about life and faith and ministry and leadership and all of these different things. But in this, this particular season of my life, Chris has been a profound influence as well. And I would say the greatest lesson that he's taught me up to this point is to keep showing up. And it's my hope and goal to keep showing up for quite a long time. So, thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Barry. It's funny, as Barry's talking, uh, one of his mentors, Rich Grassle, uh, was a professor of mine in college for a brief time. He was a professor, and then he went on to be a pastor. But one time during my first semester at school, he pulled me aside and said, out of your youth ministry class, only two of you are going to make it into ministry someday, which I think is, I don't know, maybe an encouraging, I know it wasn't encouraging. It was scary. And, uh, and then he said, but you're one of them. And I said, all right, that was encouraging. And, uh, but I don't know if you should say that. But I like Rich, and I'm appreciated for the, how he poured into to Barry's life and, and my, mine as well. Uh, for me, my very first mentor is a guy named Jamie Kendrew. He was my youth pastor in high school, and he really helped me understand who God is and, and my role in the family of God. One day after a Bible study, he pulled me aside and said, have you ever considered going to full-time ministry? And I told him, no. Like, I, I never even thought about it before. And he said, go home and pray about it. So I went home and I prayed about it. I came back to Jamie and he said, God answered. He, he said, I need to do this. Like, I felt this pull by God that I need to follow uh, the, his, his way in ministry. And so from then on, Jamie really took me under his wing and helped me out. When he was planning an event, he walked me through how he planned it. When he went to speak at an event, he took me with him so I could see the behind-the-scenes stuff going on. And he even got me on stage as a 16-year-old speaking in front of the youth group. And, and I, I look back at that, and I think that was such an amazing opportunity uh, and also one that was probably scary for him. But thankfully, God used those moments. I do look back and go, man, I used way too many William Wallace quotes from the movie Braveheart. I was just really into that movie, so I kept telling people, like, you can take our lives, but you can't take our freedom. And I don't know if that was good, but I do know that I grew from that. And because the only way to get better as a speaker is by speaking. And Jamie gave me that opportunity. So I'm thankful for him. He also really helped me understand what Paul was saying to Timothy. Pastor Chris already mentioned how Paul passed the baton of leadership to Timothy and some other young men. And in his letter, 1 Timothy verse four, or chapter 4, verse 12, Paul told this to Timothy. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. And Jamie instilled that in me. And he said, take this serious. You have a responsibility and obligation. God's called you. And I did. I took it serious. I'm thankful for, for his wisdom in my life. After I graduated high school, I didn't have a mentor that I consistently was being poured into uh, from. And during that time, I look back at my life and I know that I was not growing as much as God wanted me to. My spiritual life reflected the fact that I didn't have a spiritual mentor at that time. 
Thankfully, my roommate, Nate Berger, introduced me to the youth pastor at his church. His name is Nate Grossamy. And Nate, amazing man of God. And so when I met him, I asked him right away, can I serve in your team? Can you teach me how to be a youth pastor? And thankfully, although he didn't know me, he said yes. And we got to work together. He invited me to sit with him in, in his office, and he walked through his his method of running events and meetings and everything. He helped me with organization and helped me to be flexible while organized. And he also helped me set up events and speak at youth group. And as I'm saying, it was kind of unpaid labor, but it was very good because I I learned how to to do uh, the work. And he also taught me how to be part of a team. He was a very team-focused guy, and I had never been a part of a team before. So that was, that was very cool. And after I, I worked with him, I graduated college and I served under a, under a pastor named John Simpson. And John was about to retire when I started working with him. And so our conversations weren't as much about the day-to-day in the church. They were just more about life. And I'm thankful for that because in that season, he helped me to learn that we're called to the Lord first, to our family second, and to the work third. Sometimes we get those out of order, but Pastor John helped to instill that into me over and over, that keep God first and then your family. I wasn't married, didn't have kids at the time, but he made sure that that was a focus I had so that later on in life, I would, I would not only put that into my life as a focus, but I would benefit from having God first, family second, and the work third. After he retired, once again, I went through a season without a mentor. And for about three years, I didn't grow as much as God would have liked. And as I look back and go, I wish I would have grown during that time. But I'm thankful I came to New Life because right away when I came here, Pastor Chris became a mentor of mine almost 10 years ago now. And he has taught me a ton, especially in these last couple years as we've been walking through this mentorship process of passing of the leadership baton. But the first thing that really has stuck with me since I got here was regarding missions. Before I came to New Life, I went to Haiti and I had this awful experience with Haiti. And I came to New Life and I thought, overseas missions is just not for me. Maybe you've thought that before as well. I thought, I will serve here. And if something happens here, I'll do that. But I I don't really believe I'm called to go overseas. But Pastor Chris helped me understand that I had false thinking, that we're all called to go into the world to make disciples, all of us. Jesus told us that before he ascended into heaven. He said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And so he invited me to go with him to the Caribbean. And during that time, my heart just caught on fire for people in all nations as God wants it to. And and I got to experience the Holy Spirit move in very tangible ways. Pastor Barry has also been a mentor of mine, specifically when I started uh, my program in my master's program. I had to get a mentor that would meet with me every week. And it's cool looking back, Pastor Chris would have been an obvious choice and it would have been a great choice at that. But God led me to ask Pastor Barry to be my mentor. And that was wonderful because we really got to grow closer during that time. And we're going to be working together um, going forward in the future. You might have noticed that we're sitting in this way. And that's for a reason because Pastor Chris is passing leadership baton to me. But Pastor Barry is the bridge between Pastor Chris and myself. And he's been helping with this whole entire process. And he's worked alongside Chris faithfully for almost nine years and will continue working in the future as the executive pastor. And during that time, he really helped in instill in me a sense of confidence. My confidence is always something that the enemy has attacked, but Pastor Barry 
helped remind me that God's created me to do more than I thought possible and really pushed and encouraged and challenged me to, to really lean into the gifts that God has given me. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the mentors that God's given me. And as I reflect on that, it's pretty obvious that in my life, I'm at my best when I have wise mentors that pour into my life. And I'm at my worst when wise mentors don't pour into my life. So I'm thankful for that process. And I'm thankful for the people that God's put in my life to mentor. And so that's what we're going to focus on next. We've been mentored by people, but God's also called us to pour into other people. So we're going to talk about who we've done that with and how. So I turn on my mic. So I started mentoring or pouring into other people when I was 19 years old. I had started attending Nancy's church, and the pastor there asked me if I would start a youth group, which I absolutely knew nothing about because we didn't have a youth group in our church in Gypsy, but there were five or six kids who were willing to meet, so I met with them, and I said, what do you want to do? And believe it or not, they said, we want to study the book of Revelation. So the first thing I did as a youth pastor is I took five or six kids through the book of Revelation. It's not, I highly don't recommend that as the first thing to do when you start a youth group. Um, but I, I did learn that kids will stick with you if they know that you care about them and if you have something worth sharing with them. And so anyway, after that, I, you know, I served as a preacher for the Kiss Committee's Presbytery for a number of years during my college years. And I went to seminary and I was a student pastor. I did mostly youth ministry. Then my senior year of seminary, I was a teaching assistant in New Testament Greek. So in all of those things, it was more, not really classroom, but more uh, a larger group with a smaller, with me being the teacher. So it wasn't really one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't really until I got to Glade Run Presbyterian Church that somebody came to me and said, I really don't know much about the faith. Would you be willing to meet with me one-on-one? -on -one? And many of you know this person, and he gave me permission to share. His name is Bill Gebhardt. And so uh, more than 30 years ago, Bill and I started meeting. And I mentored Bill for about 10 years. And then we realized something. Bill was sharing stuff with me as much as I was sharing stuff with him. So we stopped calling it a mentor-mentee thing, and we became accountability partners. So we've been accountability partners now you can either say 20 years and 10 or 30 years. And that was something that really God impressed on my heart needed to happen in the lives of everybody. But I'm a man, so particularly I needed to be doing that with men. So ever since then, uh, and especially since the start of New Life, uh, we actually have a part of our strategy is a focus on men. So I led men's fraternity. I've done men's small groups. And then of course, I've mentored men individually. Most notably, the couple that are up here, a couple of other pastors who are now leading their own churches. But over the past two years, my main focus has been uh, mentoring Pastor Alex and helping him to be ready to be the lead pastor of New Life. And I'm thankful for that. Again, whenever we went to the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you like to pronounce it, I've heard it both ways. But when we went there, Pastor Chris really helped uh, me with speaking. Again, I've been speaking for 20 years, but I remember that was a time where it really challenged me. I think we, I got to speak six times when we were there, which is great. There was even a season of life, I just remember this, hopefully you don't mind me sharing this, where I would speak at youth group and Pastor Chris would stand up there and watch the message. And if you can do that without being too nervous, you're going to be fine. And <laughs> So, uh, because we'd also have a conversation afterwards, and Pastor Chris was always very encouraging, and so I, I, I'm, I was very, I mean, still thankful for all the words of wisdom that, that he gives me. And, and in my life, I've been able to pour into other people through speaking opportunities here and, and throughout the world, but when I do that, my prayer, my focus is never about me. It's always 
And right before I speak, I say, God, please get me out of the way so that you can move because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I don't want it just to be what I, what I think or what I feel. Watchman Nee talked about this in his book, Release of the Spirit. He said, we can preach by using our mind and we can stir others by using our emotions, but if we do not know how to use our spirit, the Spirit of God cannot touch people through us. And I pray that as we speak from the stage, whoever is up here, that it isn't us just sharing what we feel or even sharing what we think, but it's really sharing what the Holy Spirit has prompted us to say. And all of that comes from the Word of God because ultimately we want that the, the Holy Spirit to speak through us, to engage with you. And if you are a believer in Jesus, he's given a spirit inside of you. So the, the prayer is that the Spirit of God would interact with you. And if you don't know Jesus yet as Lord and Savior, the prayer is that, that the Spirit of God would call and pull you to himself. So I'm thankful for those opportunities we get to share in this way. I also love to pour into people through one-on-one mentoring and through small groups. And at New Life, I've been able to do that a lot through small groups, which is wonderful. You get to see one or a group of people be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You get to challenge and encourage and help people to identify who God's created them to be and the roles that they have been called to by God in this kingdom of heaven that God has called us to be a part of. One of my favorite experiences has been through New Life students. And New Life students, whenever you sign up as a small group leader, you get put with a, a small group, and then you get to walk through with that group until they graduate. So I got to start with a sixth grade group of boys, and I got to walk through with them until they graduated high school a couple years ago, and it was so cool to see what God was speaking to them about, what God was doing in their lives, how he was shaping and forming, and how myself and, and Greg Miller, my, my small group uh, co-leader, got to encourage and challenge and, and, and do life with them. And we actually even just got together with them a couple weeks ago to have lunch. And it was just cool to see how God is still moving in their lives. So I'm thankful for those opportunities that we get. And whenever I'm mentoring or leading a small group, my main things to do to make sure that I'm doing it well the first thing is I pray, pray for the people, pray for the people that we're mentoring and ask God to fill me up so that I can pour in what he's poured into me. Here's the thing. God never calls us to fill anyone else up. He's called us simply to receive what he has given us. And that's through his word, through prayer, through godly mentors. And then he's called us just to overflow into the lives of other people. We're not called to fill other people up. We're called just to transfer what God's given to us to other people. And then we go back to God and get refilled up and then continue that process. And through that, we get to see life change. Thanks, Alex. Um, yeah, when I think of the folks that I've had the opportunity to mentor, I want to share a couple early stories. Uh, I started mentoring when I was probably about 16 years old, starting, started pouring into other folks. Uh, and that's because that was the time of life when I really started to take my faith seriously and I was reading the Bible. And you just can't read the Bible and not walk away with a bit of an understanding of like, oh, you should pour into someone else. And so a couple buddies of mine and I, we started a Bible study at my house. We invited kids in our community and our school to attend. And we'd have 20 or 30 kids there on a weekend, or not on a weekend, on a weekday. And uh, it was pretty formal. We'd walk our way through like a Bible study or a book. We'd meet once a week. Uh, and it was pretty incredible. I got to learn and got to experience how, how awesome it is to see God change someone's life. Uh, and that was really incredible for me, even as a teenager. It was right around that time that I also met uh, a guy a couple years younger than me. His name's Scott. And Scott, met, Scott and I met at summer camp. And uh, we became friends. I kind of took Scott under my wing. I didn't even know this at the time, but looking back, I sort of informally mentored him 
We didn't have, uh, you know, all the technology today, like we would do an actual phone call uh, to keep in touch <laughs> or write an occasional letter. I know that's real archaic. <laughs> um, but that's what we did, and we stayed in touch. And similar to Pastor Chris and Bill, he became an accountability partner for me. Uh, and we became very, very good friends as a result of that. But out of those two, two experiences, I was hooked. I was hooked on this whole thing, so much so that I can't think of a time in my life where I haven't been mentoring or pouring into someone, either intentionally or unintentionally. That's just been something that's been part of my life ever since. And I say both intentionally and unintentionally because formally or informally, it's always intentional, but formally or informally, because at different seasons of my life, that's looked different. Uh, some formal ways, similar to what Pastor Alex said and Pastor Chris, I've taught classes, I've led small groups, I've mentored people one-on-one, mentored guys one-on-one. Uh, and that was easier oftentimes when I didn't have kids or schedule allowed or we made time for that. Uh, informally, I've uh, adopted a couple of approaches I'd commend to all of you. The first is I've just adopted what's known as teachable moments. I learned about this in college. And what you do with a teachable moment is you look for a moment in life, just a regular moment, and you can go, oh, that points us back to God. So, for example, I use this with my kids all the time. If we're out hunting, we talk about the beauty of God's creation and God, how God created the world. It's right there. If we do harvest an animal, we talk about God's care and provision for us, and we talk about all the things that are there. So it's something that I use quite often with my kids and something that I use with other folks to this day. Another practice that I've kind of adopted is in business or in leadership, they, ca- they talk about managing or leading by walking around. And I kind of do mentoring by walking around. My role at New Life, I'll walk around some days and just check in on folks, see how they're doing, and we'll talk about life. And out of that opportunity and that experience, sometimes I'll have a really great chance to, to mentor them in some way. Have you thought about this? Have you considered that? If you're in an office office or in a workplace, I'd put that before you as a great way to pour into other folks as well. It doesn't much matter whether you do things formally or informally. What does matter is that you leverage those opportunities in an intentional way. And frankly, when we consider this opportunity to mentor others, we oftentimes go, well, am I equipped to do that? You know, am I qualified? We even discussed that as we talked about this message, and I thought... If you'd have gone back and asked 16-year-old Barry if he was qualified, I don't even know what I would have said. Like, maybe I got my permit, you know? (laughs) I don't know. But I can tell you my motivation at that time, and it's my motivation today. I wanted to help. I wanted to help people come to know Jesus. I wanted to help folks grow to be like him. I just wanted to help. And I would say this. If you've known Jesus for like six months, and you've taken that relationship seriously, You can certainly help someone who doesn't yet know Jesus or someone who's been a Christian for like a week. It's not a matter of necessarily knowing all the things. It's having a desire and a motivation to help. And as we've said throughout today, mentoring, it can be formal, it can be informal. But there's an intentionality to that. Uh, And I would commend that before all of us today because it's something that we all can do. Thanks, Barry. So, so what? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, so what? I mean, Pastor Barry, Pastor Alex, Pastor Chris have been mentored and they mentor people. Paul told Timothy to find some people and mentor them. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is here at New Life, if you're 
part of the family, our mission is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And that's because Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And he told us how to do that by baptizing and by teaching, he said, them to do or obey everything I've commanded you. Interesting, he didn't say teach them information so they'll be able to pass a test. He said, teach them to do the things that I've done. And he told us he'd be with us always to the end of the age. So it's our charge as followers of Jesus to do it. And we've tried, uh, attempted to give you some ways that's, that it doesn't have to be a formal thing. You don't have to call somebody up today and say, hey, I want to be your mentor. Or call somebody up and say, hey, would you be my mentor? Although I do encourage that. But it could be as simple as Pastor Barry said, going to work tomorrow, going to school tomorrow, and seeing a teachable moment, and to do that. The reality is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can already help somebody who's an explorer come to that step. If you're a spirit-led follower of Jesus, then you can help somebody who's you know, not as far along as you. If you have Jesus in your life, it's not really an optional thing. It's not a, if you feel like it, maybe, or if you you know, went to seminary, all of us were doing something with people before we went to seminary. And, and frankly, some of those people have become deeply committed followers of Jesus. It has nothing to do with seminary. I was always amazed when I got out of seminary, 50 and 60 and 70-year-old people thought I knew more than they did all of a sudden because I just graduated from seminary. And if they were 50 or 60 or 70 years old, they've been following Jesus for 30 or 40 years. They knew a whole lot more than I did and probably were doing a whole lot more than I did. So every single one of you who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord has a charge on your life, a call on your life to simply share what you've experienced with somebody, from somebody else of Jesus with somebody else. It's really that simple. I love the fact that new life has always been founded upon the words of Jesus and his teachings and his call in our life. It's always been founded on the word of God, which never changes. And, and I'm thankful for the fact that as we go into the future, that's not going to shift. That as we get to hear from God about what he wants the next chapter of this story to look like, it's still going to be grounded and rooted in the word of God. And we're still going to be called to go out to all the world to make disciples of all nations because Jesus told us to do that. We're all called to be poured into by God so that we can pour into other people. And the church lives on when we pass what we learn on to the next generation. That's how it's actually always worked. That's why we're still here today, because faithful people throughout generations have passed it on. And when I say we, I really do mean we. I don't simply mean the staff here at New Life or the pastors from the stage. I mean, we, Pastor Chris said that if you're part of the family, then we have a responsibility to follow what God's word says. And God's word is very clear about the role that he has for us to play in his kingdom. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling Reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. It says we, because this is the responsibility of all who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're called to be his ambassadors to the world. 
John, when speaking to the early church in the book of Revelation, a church that was under persecution, reminded him of this truth as well. He said this in Revelation 1.6, he, meaning Jesus, has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. A priest, their job was to tell the nations about God. And so God's word is clear here. We are to be, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're part of the family of Jesus. We are to be his ambassadors to the world, his priests to the nations, to tell people about the goodness of God. And each of us is able to do that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can move in and through us. And how do we do that? Well, we first we get poured into. We get poured into by God. We can do that by reading his word and by prayer, but also by getting mentored by godly people. And when we get poured into, then we look around to the people that God has put in our path, in our lives, in our workplaces, and in our schools, in our families, the ones, the lost ones in our lives. We are to pour into them, to show them Jesus. And we're also to pour into those who are in our lives who know Jesus, but still need to grow up to be like him, which is all of us, because we're not yet like Jesus. And so we're called to be poured into and then to find other people to pour into. And we can do that through today's next step, which says, I will invest time in a spiritual son or daughter this week. Practically, how can we do that? Well, the first thing is we can pray, God, reveal that person to me, bring them to me. We can also do that with our kids, as we've said already. If you have children or you are a God parent of children, you can instill the truths of God from his word into their lives. You can also do that by signing up to serve, by leading a small group, by working in the galaxy with, with the kids' ministry and, and small groups there. You could also do that with New Life students by, by leading a small group. Again, one of the most fulfilling times of my life is walking through students as they go through junior high and high school. And as we do that, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be following the formula that has allowed the church to thrive over these last 2,000 years by someone being poured into by Jesus and then passing it on. That's how the church has continued to thrive, and that's how new life has continued to thrive over the years. You see, Jesus, he passed the baton of leadership from himself to the disciples. Now, Jesus is still around, but he's not here in the flesh. So he asked the disciples to start the church. And then from generation to generation, the baton continues to pass, not just from pastor to pastor, but from people to people, because collectively we're his ambassadors. Collectively, we're the priests of God. And what an honor and privilege it is to be called a child of God, to be called to his work, to partner with him in this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you're here and you're thinking, okay, well, this sounds great, but I'm not part of the family of God. I'm not uh, in a relationship with Jesus. Well, here at New Life, we say getting into that relationship is as simple as A, B, and C. We say that because A stands for admit, and we admit who we are, and who God is. We admit that we're sinners, that we fall short of God's perfect plan for our lives, and that we admit that he is the savior of the world, the rescuer from sin and death. We also be, we believe. We believe that Jesus is Lord, which means God, master, owner of our lives, and also our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. And then we confess. We not only confess our sins, but our need for a savior and a Lord in our life, and a need for Jesus to be that savior and Lord. We also commit to living, not by ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, what we're going to do is we are going to pray. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to pray alongside me. I'm going to pray as if I were you, but I want you to, to make that prayer your own. Talk to the God of the universe who's in the room right now. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for who you are. 
Thank you for being here. I pray that you will hear our prayers as we pray for you to come into our lives. God, dear God, we believe you are the one true God. We believe your son Jesus came, died, and rose again for each of us. We admit that we're sinners. Forgive me of my sins and bring me into relationship with you. Holy Spirit, fill me up and guide me every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray that you will give us eyes to see the people in our lives that you have put there so that we can be poured into by them or we can pour into them. Pray that you give us ears to hear as you're speaking to us that we can impart that wisdom to other people. Pray that you help us to follow your path every single day. We thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.